You're listening to the Bible in Real Life podcast with Lee Fulford, where questions about the Bible meet real life. Well, I want to welcome you to Wednesday night Bible study. 
Um, we are continuing our study in 1 Corinthians, but if you are watching online, uh, you can download the notes at lfcc.tv forward slash Bible study. Um, uh, I want to welcome those that are in the house tonight. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. So we're going to start off reading our vision. It says, to equip the people with the knowledge of God's word, to empower people to seek God's faith in daily prayer, to encounter and be filled with the Holy Spirit, to evangelize our county, our country, and our country, to embrace... <laughs> <laughs> Every person in godly love, for God is love, for each one to reach one. So to all the ministers that have had to come up and see that, I apologize. And I understand now what you are saying. I will get it fixed. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> I, it will not have it again. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. <laughs> um, now, this is my Bible. <laughs> this is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. I believe that my life will never be the same. After hearing and doing the living word of God in Jesus' name. Do we believe that? Because as we go into text today, we're going to see some things that may be challenging to us. But we've just confessed that we believe what this Bible teaches. And I believe as we go into our text today... We're going to see wondrous things out of the law. So let's open up. We're in Corinthians chapter 11. Um, in chapter 11, Paul is kind of changing or we're moving into corporate worship, right? In chapters 11, 12, 13, um, Paul is going to be addressing some of the corporate issues of doing the church assembly. So... Um, verse 1 says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. You know, when I was a kid, I think it was Charles Barkley. He had a, he says, I am not a role model, right? And I think many times the mantra of the Christians is, hey, I am not a role model. I am not perfect. Don't follow me. Don't do what I, what I do. However, Paul admonished the church in Corinth he said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So the, this approach of, hey, don't be like me. So this is important for a couple things. Number one, this is the first century. There is no Gospels. There is no New Testament. So the only example of Christ are the Christians. Some of us may have a group of friends or family where they're only example of Christ is you. 
So will we stand like Paul and say, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ? That word imitate is the Greek word mem, um, mimetes, and we get our word mimic, right? So Paul is saying, Tell, mimic me because I am going to mimic Christ. You know, when I was a kid, we used to open up the... Um, we used to open up the newspaper, and there was this little game. And in the little game, we used to uh, look at a couple pictures and try to identify the differences, right? So I'm going to put a, a picture on the screen. And I want you to take a look at the picture and identify the differences. I'll give you a few minutes. All right. How many see one difference? Okay. What about uh, two Differences. You see two? What about three? Anybody see three? Okay. What about four? You see about four differences? What about five? Anybody see five? Okay. What about six? What about six? Uh, now they're really looking. Okay. Um, <laughs> so the fact of the matter is there are only five differences. Can you show me the answers? So these are the five differences. Right? Some of you, you can see the ones that you may have missed, and this is the point. Sometimes we will say, I'm not an image of Christ because I'm not perfect. The image on the right wasn't a perfect image of the left, but they were close. We should be imitators of Christ. So they would have to look really close to see the difference because we should be so close to Christ that you really got to focus. It shouldn't be that, oh, that's an obvious difference. It should be so close that there's few differences that we continue to work on. And we can be, like Paul said, I am um, imitators of, imitate Christ as he imitates me. So let's go to uh, verse 2. Now, I commend you. He said, I commend you. Uh, because you remember me in everything and remain uh, and maintain the traditions even as I deliver them to you. So I like Paul because Paul says, hey, good job. Good job. He said, in some respects, and the respects were basically the teachings and the traditions, he said, hey, you've remembered the things that I taught you. See, I like Paul because Paul says, do like I do and you've done like I said, right? Sometimes we'll say, um, don't do what I do, do what I say. And the problem is many believers have that mentality. Don't do what I do, do what I say. But Paul says in verse 1, be imitators of me. In verse 2, he says, and you continue doing what I said. We are to walk the talk and talk our walk. Okay, that, that works too. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Verse 3. Now, Paul is going to get into a discussion here regarding, regarding head coverings, right? Verse 3 says, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So here... Paul is about to get into a teaching, but first, 
he is identifying the biblical principle of headship, okay? So before he gets into application, he gives you the biblical principle because there's a difference between principle and practice, right? So Paul is laying out the principle, and then, we can, then he's going to lay out the application. So in the principle, Paul is identifying something, and we're going to walk through it in um, first, Paul says, the head of every man is Christ. So in Colossians chapter 1, verses 18, Paul says, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be the preeminent, right? So Paul is establishing the fact, he's establishing that Christ is the head of every man. In John 1 through 3, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and with, without him was not anything made that was made. So what, what point is he establishing here? He's establishing that whether you're in the church, Paul is the, uh, Christ is the head of every man that's in the church. He's also establishing that just in creation, we see Jesus as the agent of creation who was with God in the beginning. So he's the head of every man, believer or unbeliever. Paul is just setting the groundwork for the teaching that's coming. Does this make sense? Okay. So, he, we've established he is the head of every man in Christ. Next, he says, head of the wife is her husband. In verse, uh, so now let's look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands at his, as is fitting in the Lord. Colossians 3, 18. Another verse in per, 1 Peter. 1 Peter says, uh, 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, watch this, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. So Paul is saying, uh, Paul is establishing that the head of the wife is her husband, he says in Colossians. And then he said, even if he's unbeliever, um, likewise be subject to your own husband. So he's establishing the point, right? He's establishing headship. This is the principle. And then the third one is head of Christ is God. We see in John 5.30, this is Jesus. In my Bible, this is the red. Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus is identifying that the head of Christ is God. Let's look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said unto them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay? Who gave Jesus the authority? God the Father, right? So the head of Jesus, of Christ, is God. Let's look in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 uh, through 11. Therefore, 
God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right? So Jesus is saying, God has bestowed on me the name that is above every other name. Right? It's showing that the head of Christ is God. So what is Paul doing? Um, and, and I purposely, I picked some things from Colossians, because that's Paul. I picked some things from John. I picked some things from Peter. I picked some things from Matthew, showing that this is a teaching throughout Scripture. Some, some you know, oh, Paul is this and Paul is this. So it was Matthew, John, all the apostles are united in this doctrine, okay? So Paul has established it. Now, these, that's the principle. The principle is that of headship. So now, let's have some of the, the theological takeaways. For point one, everyone has an authority except God. God the Father is the only one that does not have an authority or a head. So, what that means is you will never get too high or be in a position where there is not an authority or someone you must be submissive to. When we understand this, it helps life go a lot easier because sometimes we think, hey, I've got to the point now there is no one that I have to answer to. And God says, hey, if you're a man, the head of man is Christ. Hey, if you're a woman, the head of the woman is her husband. So there is never a point where you get to the point where I no longer have an authority structure. This authority structure is in the natural and also in the spiritual. We understand it in the natural, right? You know, who here has a job? <laughs> you go to work and there is an authority structure, right? Um, play sports. There is an authority structure. We can't get away from the authority structure. God is a God of order, and if there wasn't order, there would be chaos. So God has established these principles as order. So in every area, in the family, in job, in society, there is order. Now the point is that we shouldn't do anything that would disgrace our head or our covering. Okay? Point number two. When there is authority, there is either submission or rebellion. Submission can be achieved among equals. Submission can be achieved among equals. So submission is not a matter of superior or inferior. Submission is not a matter of class or identity or ability or intellect. Submission is a function of order. In order for there to be order, there has to be submission. Now, um, I, I want to point out that submission can be achieved among equals. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Stop right there for a second. So he gave them 
dominion equals. He gave them dominion, right? Continue, he says, um, verse 26 says, I'm sorry, 27. It says, so God created man in his own image. Uh, he created him in the image of God, created he them male and female, okay? So God created man and women. Do you realize this? God created men and women in God's image? Equals, right? So wait a minute. How can there be submission and order if there's equals? You can, because equal doesn't mean I can't submit. So we see this on the human level, right? Do you realize this? And I know, I know this one got me. My children are created in the image of God. Now, if they said, hey, Dad, whoa, 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 you can't tell me because I'm created in God's image what to do. I was like, listen, listen, hold up, hold up. I will say submission can be done among equals. <laughs> no, that's not what I say. I say children obey your parents in the Lord. That's what I say. But... My point is there is order, right? So it's not a question of inferiority or superiority. It's God has established an order, and that's how it works. Now, let's look at not only among people or humans, there is submission among in the supernatural. We see in John 10.30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. So earlier we saw how Jesus said, I do the will of my Father. But now he says, I and my Father are one. And in the teaching of the Trinity, we understand that they are all equally God. Yet they submit to one another. See, there is this mentality that if I submit to someone else, I must be less than. But that's not what the Bible teaches. And the example of Christ submitting to the Father is a perfect example of both being equally God yet submissive. If we understood this in homes, life would be so much easier. God submitted to God, and they're both God. So submission is not a negative. It's a function to have order. It's because that's how God set it up. In First John, I mean, in John 8, 58, Jesus said, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Right? Now, I am Yahweh. I am the ever-existing one. So Jesus claimed deity. And they understood that because if you kept re keep reading, they take stones because they're going to kill him because you just call yourself God. Right? So submission can be done amongst equals. So Paul has, so what we've done is we've looked at the theological principle of headship, but now how do we apply it? I tell people theology is easy. Application is the hard part. So now Paul goes and says, here's how we're going to apply this principle of headship in the church setting. Let's go. Um, so because we, it's a cultural setting, we got to give a little culture here. So culturally speaking, in this time, the Jewish, Roman, and Greek culture all understood that women would cover their head as a sign of submission to their husbands. So not covering their head was a sign of rejecting their covering, okay? So now we're going to go, so that's a little uh, cultural tidbit, so now we understand what's going on. But here is 
here is what I want to point out in verse 4, because sometimes people go to this, and this is where they focus on women. Let's start in verse 4. Paul starts with the man. Paul says, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. The principle is the same. Whether uh, So well, we'll, we'll continue, and then I'll break it down. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, verse 5. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife could not cover her, will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it's disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he's the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. So that's a lie. Let's break it down. <clears throat> so first of all, this is not simply a conversation about hair and head covering, or else there was no need to set up the theological construct for the conversation, right? So this is a conversation about dishonoring the head. Right? So he starts with the men. There were men in Corinth that were praying and prophesying with their heads covered. And Paul said, you should not be doing that. Men, your heads should not be covered. So he called out the men. There were women who were praying and prophesying with their heads uncovered. Both were wrong because both disgraced the head. Both got out of order. Man, if man was under Christ, then covering your head, covering your glory, dishonors your head. Something is coming between you and order, you and Christ. So men, you were wrong. Women, when they, dis, when they would uncover their head, or when they would uncover their head, then they stepped out from order and Paul identified that they were wrong. So some men had adopted the culture of the Romans to cover their head in prayer, right? This wasn't a biblical. In the Old Testament, you don't see where God's like, hey, cover your head, right? They had adopted Roman practice. The Romans would cover their head when they prayed and had sacrifices. So they were allowing uh, what the Romans were doing in this church in Corinth. So Paul is addressing the issue because in the church there were some that heads are uncovered, some are covered, and they needed to explain to the people, here is why we're making this, this, uh, why I'm giving you this instruction, right? It's because either way you're violating the principle of headship. Right? So it's a contextual conversation. So, um, so Lee, should we cover our head? Right? Now, in that context, in the, everybody knew that not having your head covered was you not submitting to authority. That's not the case anymore. Right? Just like everybody with short hair, we're not like, oh, that person's a whatever. Right? So it's not um, the, the application is no longer part of the principle, right? So it doesn't apply. The principle stays the same. 
are you doing something that dishonors your head? So in our context, in our culture, I guess if a person was married and they took their ring off, that would be dishonoring the head, right? In some cultures, if, if they would clean the dot off, the, the bindi off their, off their face, it would dishonor the head. So the principle is don't do anything that disgraces or dishonors the head. See, now you're understanding. When you're reading Scripture, you understand the principle, and then you take the principle, and you can make daily application and how you live it out. Does that make sense? This topic has, has throughout history, created all kinds of denominations. I don't know the denominational makeup in here, but I know if I go to some islands, everybody has a thing on their head. If I go to some churches, right? Um, but we must ask ourselves, are we violating the principle? And the principle is, am I doing anything that men, am I doing anything that dishonors Christ? So when I come to the church, am I doing something that dishonors my head, that dishonors Christ? Wives, am I doing something in the sanctuary that, or in the church or wherever that dishonors my husband? And if those things are happening, then they need to stop. He addresses the situation by going deeper. And now we'll see how he gives multiple arguments of it. So in verse, in verse 8, um, for man was not made from woman. So the first argument was that of he made the statement. Now he's making an argument from creation about headship. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created from woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Right? So he goes through this whole thing. He's using the example from nature. He's like, hey, man was created first. Right? It just goes back to that man is over the woman. Right? Um, we are, we, we're not talking about equality. We're talking about order. Right? So he says, man was created first. It's a fact. But then he says, we're dependent because now man comes from woman. Right? Man was created first, but every man has a mama. So now he's like, <laughs> why are we tripping? Right? Still equals. But somebody has to be in order. Right? Now, um, now, one thing that I thought was interesting that I don't want to pass over is what it didn't say, because I'm a dad of girls. Right? And as a dad of girls, I see where there wasn't a problem with men praying and prophesying, and there wasn't a problem with women praying or prophesying. Because the Bible says in Acts chapter 22 that the young men will dream dreams and the old men will see visions, and when the Spirit of God comes, the sons and daughters will prophesy. So God doesn't have a problem with us expounding the gifts, doing what God tells us to do. But he says, if you're going to do it in the church, there has to be order. And as we go through um, next week in chapters 12, 13, 14, he's going to continue to lay out that order. But I can tell my little daughters, hey, don't worry about it. 
Yes, you can pray, you can prophesy. Just make sure, you know, you're respecting your daddy until you get old enough. Come on, somebody. Listen, but it's, it's when we understand, it takes the pressure off. It's like, hey, this is what the Bible says. I don't get offended. I don't get upset. You know, when we take off our own experience, when we take off our own issues that we've had to work through and look at the Bible for what it says, it makes sense because God created it this way. Right? I know. It's tight, but it's right. Um, so, um, and then verse... Uh, verse 12, for as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And then it says, and all things are from God. Right? God's like, I over, I'm over this whole thing. Verse 13, judge for yourselves. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach us that a man wears long hair is a disgrace for him. But if a woman wears long hair, it is for her glory, for her hair is given her for a covering. Here he's making another argument from nature, right? I don't know all the details of testosterone and estrogen, but I do know women have tend to grow more on general, right? It is what it is. So he makes a natural argument, is my point. Um, and then verse 16, he, if anyone is inclined to be contentious, because he said, not everybody's going to agree with this. Not everybody's going to like this teaching. And he says, if anyone is inclined to be contentious, he says, now we're going to go in the argument of custom. We have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. So the church does it like this. Hey, if you don't like it, they're like, there's no such practice. There's no other way to do it because of the principle that he laid out in the beginning the covering, right? So that's why I think it's so interesting at the beginning, he said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Hey, I don't understand. That's okay. Do what I do as I follow Christ. This is Christ's follower. Now, the last few minutes, we are going to go through the Lord's Supper. And in verse 17, so remember, Paul is dealing with public worship. So, um, verse 17, he says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Remember, in verse 3, it says, hey, I commend you. You were doing some things right. You know, this kind of spoke to me. Now, sometimes we'll look around and we'll see things that, and everything looks bad, right? But Paul said, you know what, there were some things in Corinth I commended them on. And there were some things that I cannot commend them on. And isn't that like any church? Hey, there are some things you're like, God is doing it. That's right. And some things you're like, I mm, don't know about that. But don't allow the enemy to get us so focused on the things that we cannot commend on that we don't acknowledge and celebrate the things that we can commend on. Because when you're working with a body of believers, when you're working with any organizations, there's some things that are right that we're working out, and there's some things that are wrong that we're working out. And Paul says, hey, I've given you a commendation, and now i got to give you some correction. And he says... But in the following instruction, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. In verse 18, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among 
you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So, <clears throat> verse 20. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, so let me, let me give a little context for what was going on. In the early church, when they would come together, they would have these feasts, right? So they would come. It's almost this big potluck, and everybody brought, and they would come, and they would have all the food together. Oh, I want sister so-and-so's cornbread, and hey, I want such-and-so's such green beans, right? And whoever does the, the green bean casserole, slide me, slide me some. But so that's what was happening, right? And then at the end of the feast, they would have communion, Right? But what had happened is, verse 20, when you came together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another one gets drunk. What? Do you have not houses to eat and drink in? Do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I shall not. So they were having, uh, when they were supposed to be coming together for this, this communion with each other, there would be some that they would have their food and they would keep their food to themselves. They get all full and good and drinking, blah, 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 and be like, oh, <laughs> you ain't bring no food, you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> that's your fault, you know? Um, but that's not how the body of Christ was to behave. When you gather together, it was supposed to be like in, in Acts, share and share alike. So, um, so when they would have the Lord's Supper, he gives a teaching, and I'm going to give this quick teaching on the Lord's Supper. Uh, verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way, this, in the same way also, he took the cup. And after the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So in verse 23, God tells us that communion, the Lord's Supper, is a time to look at the past. Look at the past. He said, in remembrance of me. We're to look at the bread as the body of Christ that was broken for you. Not only were we to look in the past, verse 25, and in the same manner also he took the cup. And after supper saying, this cup is the new testament, is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So not only were we to look, look back, in remembrance, we're also to look in the present. This new cup, this new covenant that Christ was initiating at the Last Supper, it represents the blood that was cutting for the new covenant. And don't you know we have a covenant now that's better than the old covenant? For the old covenant, you had to go to priests in order to have communion with God. But now Christ has given his blood so that we can have direct access to the throne of God because he is our high priest. We have a better covenant. We have a better priest. The Bible says, for Jesus, 
is the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. That's what we're doing when we're drinking the blood. We're understanding that it's the blood that washed away our sins. Understanding that it's the sacrifice that was made. And it's this new covenant. We know this new covenant is built on better promises because in Jeremiah 31, he says, in the new covenant, the spirit will be inside of you and not just outside of you. So Paul is saying, hey, when you come together for communion, remember the past. We need to remember. We also need to understand the new cup of the covenant. In verse 26, he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So yes, we look to the past. We look at the present. And then we look to the future. He says, till he comes. Every time we take the sacraments, we should remember that there will be a day when we will have that marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven. And until we meet that day, we continue to take these until Christ comes. Because we do know he's coming back. We do have a hope. We do know that this is not the end. The old Baptist people used to say, uh, this is not my home, I'm just a passing through. So they understood that when you sat at the Lord's Supper, when you sat at the table, this wasn't just something you did. It was reminding you that there will be a day when because of the blood of Christ, because of the sacrifice of Christ, I will one day see Christ in heaven. And then he says, verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Verse 28, let a person examine himself. Let a person examine himself. Then, and so eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For anyone who eats and drinketh without discerning the Lord's, without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now watch, he said, that is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so we may not be condemned with the world. So he tells us, Lord's Supper is a time to look back in remembrance. It's a time to look at the present for the covenant. It's a time to look to the future till he comes. And it's a time to look within. Am I taking the Lord's Supper unworthily? Have I examined myself? As I'm with the body of believers and we're partaking of renewing the covenant. Remember, every year, they had the Passover to remind them about when God delivered them out of Egypt. The Lord's Supper is that same. The church really only has two sacraments, the Lord's Supper and baptism. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, it's remembering the covenant that Jesus paid for in his blood. So we have to examine ourselves. If there's any ought I have against someone else, should I take partake of the body and the blood of Christ. He says, um, 
Therefore, if we judge ourselves, we don't have to be judged. If I condemn myself, if I realize myself that I'm not in fellowship with my brother, if I'm not where I need to be, um, then we should not be judged. And then verse 33, so then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Remember earlier it said some would go out and eat by themselves? What kind of meal? And you're eating by yourself. He says, wait for one another. In the New Testament, there's 59 times where there's a one another, and this is one of them. He says we should wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment about the other things that will give direction when I come. So, in recap, we look in the past and remember what Christ has done. We look in the present at the cup of the New Testament. We look in the future until he comes. We look within and then we look around and realize that you're part of a body of believers. So when we take communion, Paul said, I can't commend you because when y'all gathered for communion, you weren't taking it seriously. This is the New Testament of his blood. Um, I know I'm a little long, but with the new information, we've passed out some communion. And I would love for us as a family having an understanding of what this includes, what it involves. I would love for us to take communion together as we look back, as we look at the present, as we look into the future, as we look within, and as we wait for one another. So, <coughs> as we remember the body, which was broken for us, uh, Luke says, and he took the bread and gave thanks and break it and gave it to them saying, this is the body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. In remembrance of me. And then verse 22 says, Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament. The word testament is covenant. This is the new covenant that God paid for with his blood, which is shed for you. Likewise, also, this cup new testament, which is shed for you. Let's take the cup. As a body of believers, <coughs> we remember what God has done for us. We remember that we are to wait for one another. And then Paul said, 
and the rest will I set in order when I come. Will you bless by the word today? Amen. Amen. I know there's a lot to go through, but uh, I just want to close in prayer um, in this, this sacred space. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for a better covenant built on better promises. Lord, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross. Lord, we thank you for sealing <coughs> this covenant in your blood. Lord, we look forward to the day where we will gather with all the believers throughout history at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We remember that we are just passing through. This is not our home. Lord, help us live today in light of eternity. And I ask God that we are unworthy, but you are worthy. And we thank you, God, for being the righteousness of God. We thank you for taking our sins and giving us your righteousness so that we can have eternal life. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, um, how to give. Oh, so if you would like to accept Jesus Christ, and uh, if you would like to accept Jesus Christ or did pray, you can go to lfcc.tv forward slash pray, and we will reach out to you. Now it's time for giving. Yes, there are three ways to give, four ways to give, right? LFCC.tv forward slash give. Uh, you can text the amount to 84321. Uh, there's the cash app at love first, and you can mail it in. Um, I was speaking to Pastor Jomo while you're doing the giving. Uh, Pastor Jomo called and he wanted to give an update. So big give is... Um, Funds have continued to come in, so now we're over $260,000 for the big gift. Amen. So we want to thank you for your faithfulness and thank you for sowing into what God is doing in our community, our county, and our country through love first. Amen. Amen. And now we will dismiss uh, 1 John 4.4. Can, am I missing something? I know. Communion threw me off. So. <laughs> Dear Jesus, help me get myself together. First John 4, 4 says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. All right. <laughs> God bless you. Have a good night.